Good morning. Now, one thing that Doug didn't mention is he just retired. And so I don't know where you're at with that, in that whole realm, but he retired, and that's when he was able to connect uh, with it. And then also, we have had our own children homeless and uh, a mess. And so, uh, you know, we have two of our sons that have been and are uh, in, that ho- in exactly what you're talking about. They have a story. We know it well. <laughs> we adopted them. And that in itself is a story. God never intended that, to be taken away from your parents for whatever reason. So uh, we've lived it, and uh, we know it, it's a tough, it's a heart-wrenching thing. So thank you for being here. And then the class, the first class is our whole uh, service. But I'm praying about maybe making all four of them our whole service. Because when you talk about trauma, when you talk about addiction, How many would you say amen to being here for all of them? Okay, I see those hands. (laughs) So uh, I'll have to talk that over with others, but uh, we just might might do that and just listen in and hear these things because really I think each one of us to some degree, at least initially, have an idea about homeless people that we'd rather not deal with. And uh, may the Lord help us. He came to heal the brokenhearted. So Doug... You can't be emotional anymore, okay? <laughs> Here we go. Would you stand? We're, we're going to begin our study. We began our study, actually, in the Gospel according to Mark about a year ago. We've got a couple more studies, so it'll take about a year. From there, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and pick up in Leviticus. So maybe say Leviticus? Yeah, Leviticus. And we're going to do 27 chapters in about 10 studies. So you can be reading ahead. That'll be our next book uh, on Sunday mornings. So in Mark chapter 14 and beginning in verse 26, we're going to talk about the denials of Peter. And I'm going to read just a short beginning and end of this section. Uh, I'll pray and we'll get into it together. Here we go. Mark 14, 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's Zechariah. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Then in verse 72, A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. It's not not sort of making things look so grand. Here we have right down ground level, heart level, your own disciples, that you came to us to show us the heart of God. And Lord, we're thankful again for your word. We know it's that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So Lord, please speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, come. Just the things I prepared, break them fresh and feed us. We're hungry for you, God. Bless this time now in your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said Amen. You can be seated. So if you keep your Bibles open to follow along as we go verse by verse in Matthew, in Mark 20, uh, 14, 26 
through 72. I'll, we'll go through that in your Bibles. We'll have all the other scriptures, and there are a few of them this morning. And if you want my notes, I'll send them to you, so don't try and keep up. There you have it. Okay? So three times in Mark chapter 14, which is the, this is the third of those three, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, and he's pointing to three of his disciples. First, a memorial to his disciple Mary. That's assured, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So we looked at, at Mary, the memorial to Mary. Last study, the betrayal by his disciple Judas in Mark 14, 18. Now as they sat at the hate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Now this uh, and, and the denial of Peter overlap. The third one this morning is Jesus said in verse 30, Assured I say to you that today, even this night, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. When we talk about Peter's denial, because it is the last thing Peter ever thought he would ever do, never crossed his mind that he actually would deny Jesus, we can rightly substitute the word failure. Deny means to repudiate, to disown, to contradict, or to speak against. So we might say, Jesus said to him, Assured I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows, crows twice, you will renounce me. You will disown me. You will contradict me. You will fail me. Three times. Jesus told Peter that in spite of all his good intentions, he would do exactly what he vowed he would never do. Does that sound familiar? Peter would not only desert Jesus, he would disown Jesus. Now, Jesus also told Peter that he would never disown him before the whole thing happened. In John chapter 13, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow to have denied me three times. Then he said this, next verse, let not your heart be troubled. Have you read that in the context of what's going on? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, Peter, James, John. I will receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus would never disown these disciples. Never forsake them. So the first thought is that Peter's denials did not take Jesus by surprise. That should encourage you. You're not surprising God. I'm not surprising God when I fail him. So when they had sung this hymn, and we read that, Peter said, even if they all are made to stop, I'll never, I'll never deny you. He said, oh, but Peter, before the rooster crows twice, tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Peter would be surprised, but not Jesus. Peter believed his own resolve, which would prove to be utterly insufficient. Jesus, the good shepherd, tenderly leads his disciples, and especially Peter, eight times in this chapter he's named, as they walk through the valley of the shadow of his death. He's the good shepherd. He knows all about you. 
So in verse 32 in Mark, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And you can imagine, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. Verse 35, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Just won the battle. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch just one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you found that out to be so true also? And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. Some people say, well, you shouldn't pray the same prayer. No, pray it as much as you need to pray it. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Jesus was not surprised to find them sleeping when they should have been praying. They were out of it with no, ex with ex no explanation or excuse for why they couldn't just for an hour. They're just out of it. He came, verse 41, then he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. In last, our last study, Jesus wasn't surprised by Judas's betrayal either. So in verses 43 through 45, Judas comes on the scene. Verse 46, it says, Then they laid their hands on him and took him, Jesus. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. In Matthew, you read this. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide with me with more than 12 legions of angels. Now there's 6,000 in a legion, so we're talking 72,000 angels. I think Peter's standing and saying, hey, make the call. Bring them on. Now in John chapter 18, we read who it is. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, even naming the man. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So Peter's denials did not take Jesus by surprise, but Peter's denials were also not for lack of sincerity. If there was ever a man who loved Jesus, it was Peter. Out of that love, Peter rises up to prove himself to Jesus. I told you I'll never deny, I'm going to show it. I got this. I got it taken care of. But it was a blundering proof at best. Peter may have been a good fisherman, but he's a lousy swordsman. Now, I've had my share of misguided swipes. Fleshly attempts to prove myself to God. Prove how strong I am, how good I am. 
And at times it's left me leaving Amalchus injured. We are told in Luke that Jesus healed this man, his enemy. Luke chapter 22. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Now, can you imagine being Malchus? He touched and healed his enemy. There's a poem that I love. I've had it for this book for a long time. It's by Ruth Bell Graham, Billy Graham's wife, in her book called Sitting by My Laughing Fire. And she writes this, I knew a Malchus once, severely wounded by a Peter's sword, crazed by anger, dazed by pain. He thrust aside with awful pride that gentle hand whose touch alone could make him whole again. Have Jesus touched me? Hell, he hissed. T'was his disciples swung the sword aiming for my neck and missed. I want no part of Peter's Lord. Strong Savior Christ, so oft repelled, for rash disciples blamed. Poor wounded fools by pride compelled to go on living maimed. I think it fits the homeless also. How are we loving them? How are we dealing with them? Peter's denials were not for lack of sincerity. If ever there was a person, a man, a disciple who loved Jesus, it was Peter. And thus it brings such encouragement to us to see him in all of his failures. He is swinging for Jesus. And now Jesus, this is after Jesus had already told them in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Night, the same night. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do what? Nothing. Now how many times have you tried to disprove that? It's not that God is restraining you from being successful. That if he would just let you go at it, swing it, swing for it, you would blow his mind. You would impress God. In fact, you might even think you add something to God. Fact is, all of our fleshly efforts cause more damage than they do good. God is working with hopelessly flawed servants and building his kingdom with us. God is winning with the foolish, with the weak, with the base and despised things to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh would glory in his sight. God sent Jesus to do for us and in us and through us what only he can do from start to finish. We can take zero credit for any of it, but simply give all the glory to God. The truth is, it is only by the love of God that any of us are saved. When we're still without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have received the reconciliation. We should be on our toes like Snoopy going, whoo. So we tend to, in making our swings, there must be something God cannot accomplish without my help. He needs my help. The truth is, to know God is to know love. And to know love is to obey God. To surrender to Him as being a servant who does in my life and through my life whatever He does in calling the shots. And whenever I'm obedient to God, He backs it up with the power of His Holy Spirit. You see, to know love, know God is to know love, and to know love is to obey God by the power that He gives us through His Spirit to bear the fruit of love that makes the difference in people's lives. He said, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken that your joy may be full, that, you may, that your joy may remain in you, my joy remain in you, and that your joy may be full. He's not trying to ruin our party. He's saying, here is the essence of what I've called you to do. It's to love. To be loved and through that to then love others as he loves us. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Greater love has no one this than to lay down his life for his friends. Ray Stedman said this, quote, we have traded servanthood and the power of God for activism and direct mail campaigns. Christians try to change the world by winning ideological battles. They forget God has called them to win the world with love. The only way the kingdom of God advances by human weakness resting on the power and wisdom of God. That power can accomplish anything. The power of the flesh accomplishes nothing. The power of money accomplishes nothing. The power of human wisdom and strategy accomplishes nothing. When anything good is accomplished, it is accomplished by his strength operating in our weakness, and then the demonstration of that is love. Now, here's the deal. Peter is swinging. Jesus is going to begin to direct his capacity to understand what love is, and then in his willingness to submit himself and live it out. He's not there yet. And neither are mo we're, we're on that road to learn that. So the, a third thought in this whole idea of the denials of Peter is that Peter's denials were not inciting with evil. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 48, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Jesus was not a violent revolutionary operating undercover. He was a publicly recognized religious leader who spoke and worked miracles with an authority that had never been seen before. So in them arresting Jesus as though he were a criminal, it shows their cowardice. Jesus will now endure a total of six trials. Three religious and three civil. Jesus was arrested sometime after midnight. The day of the week is still up for debate. Some say Thursday, some say Friday. 
the three religious trials that we'll look at, we'll, we'll skim this morning. There was trial number one before Annas, trial number two before Caiaphas and, Sanhe- and the Sanhedrin. That was about 1.30 to 3 o'clock in the morning. At 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. around, Jesus imprisoned in Caiaphas's palace. And then from 5 to 6, he's before the Sanhedrin for their final verdict. Then three civil trials were on Thursday or Friday at 6 to 7 a.m. He's before Pilate, who then sends him to the second trial before Herod, who then sends him back to Pilate for the final verdict, the sentence of death. And then Jesus crucified. And we'll get this as we go into our next chapter uh, next week. Here's the thing. Peter is an eyewitness to all these things. Peter's denial seems like such a small thing in the light of, or should I say, in the darkness of all the things that are happening to Jesus. Yet the Holy Spirit brings them right alongside Jesus' suffering for us to take heart, take to heart. Jesus said in Luke 22, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, what? That your faith fail not, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Before any of this happened. So Jesus willingly went through what he went through out of love for you, for me, for the world. That our faith may not fail. Even when Satan would sift us like wheat, which he often does when we fail Jesus. We failed in our witness. We're trying to hide. We're trying not to be recognized as a Christian or with a church. Satan is on us like crazy, battling along. But Jesus said, these things I spoke to you. This is in the room before all this happened, right before it. These things I spoke to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But look, look it, I have overcome the world. And to see what's going on there, these disciples think it's all over. They win. Where Jesus told them all along, no, they don't. I will rise the third day. And Peter, let me tell you, you're going to deny me three times, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when Jesus prayed that, his faith didn't fail. Now, he went through tremendous denials, but his faith did not fail him. We'll look at that next week. The glory of that whole truth. Peter's denials were not inciting with evil. These these religious trials before Annas, the former high priest, the preliminary hearing before Annas, then the arraignment before Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, these evil uh, men. And then we read in verse 54, but Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. The courtyard is a central quadrangle with the high priest's residence built around it. So they have this gathering early in the morning. This is a mockery. Now the chief priests and all the council, you with me, verse 55, sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. So this is a mockery of the whole of the Jewish legal procedures. These evil men show an utter disregard for the rules under which they themselves were to operate. In their zeal to kill Jesus, these men, these evil men, do not hesitate to break their own laws. It's a mockery. 
They were not supposed to meet at night and during any Jewish feast. They were not supposed to bribe witnesses to commit perjury. A death penalty was not to be carried out until the night had ceased. Unless they met in the hall of, of hewn stone in the temple area, their verdicts were not binding. All these things, exactly what they did. It was a mockery because they had already determined to kill Jesus. Their problem was getting evidence that would justify putting him to death. So in verse 57, some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and with three, within three days I will build another one, another made without hands. And we know the story there in, in John 2. He's talking about his body, the temple. But now they're bringing this accusation because, you see, according to Josephus, who was a Roman Jewish historian, destruction of a worship place was a capital offense. So if they could get him on that one, they got a death sentence. But it says, but even not, not even there, then did their testimonies agree. And the high priest, verse 60, stood up in the midst and asked him, Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing? What is, these, what is it these men testify against you? See, bullying is nothing new. And he kept silent. This is incredible. He kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He kept silent until this question came. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a slam to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He's going as a lamb. He has nothing to defend. The blessed is a Jewish substitute title for God. Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. Are you the Christ? Of, are you the Son of the Blessed? I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Power is another Jewish substitute name for God. So Jesus now is, start in these, is, is quoting these startling prophecies and applying them to himself. So if anyone ever says to you in Psalm 110 and, and Daniel chapter 7, if some critic says that Jesus never claimed to be God, just take him to this section. It's clear. He claimed to be God. Verse 63. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witness? Witnesses. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They knew what he was His enemies knew what he was saying. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. So this scene that follows is grotesque to the extreme. That the Holy Son of God would have to endure such hostility of sinners against himself. The physical abuse that Jesus suffered at the hands of sinful men is beyond description. Then some began to spit on him, verse 65, to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy, and the officers struck him with the palms of their hands to blindfold him in Luke chapter 22. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. The body is an amazing thing. We have these built-in reflexes that when we're about to get struck, they kick into gear to protect us. Instantaneously, the body naturally recoils. They blindfolded him. 
He had no idea when they were coming or where. And so in Isaiah chapter 52, this, this should be a moving verse for all of us. As many were astonished at you, his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Literally, he was beaten so mercilessly you could not even recognize him as a human being. It's, always, it, it's, it's deeply interesting to me that when you talk about Jesus' crucifixion, it just says, and they crucified him. A little bit here, but see, that he went through what he went through was not that we would focus in, the, the scripture does say, well, he had, the, now science has already confirmed the hideousness of the whole thing. And they crucified him. He came not for himself, not to gain pity. He came for you and me that we might gain salvation. The wrath of God on him, the unbelievable evil perpetrated against him, it's so much worse because it came from the religious leaders. Hatred and cruelty, sadistic cruelty. They're venting their hatred, their jealousy, their envy. They're spitting on him, which is a, the vilest of insults. And to those who don't repent, I wonder what it'll be like when they stand before him. In Isaiah chapter six, 50, verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Peter, who we're talking about in this study, writes, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. He could have called 72,000 angels, say, take care of him. But he said, how would these things be fulfilled? It's the power of God manifested in the Son of God. Enduring such suffering that we might be saved. And Peter says he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who, went, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sin might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. And so the Sanhedrin confirm a verdict in trial number three. They sent it to Pilate. And then a final, this is a final verdict by the Sanhedrin. Just after dawn. We'll get in the next chapter. The final thought in this, in the denials of Peter, is that Peter's denials would return him to Jesus to strengthen his brethren. The Peter's denials would return him to Jesus to strengthen his brethren. They would test his faith. As Jesus said, Simon, Satan desired, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. That which Peter held so dearly, his love for Jesus, when tested, was found lacking. And I know we can, each and every one of us can identify with that truth. Why would you deny him? Why would I deny him? While be, Jesus being interrogated, Peter's being tested. Now, as Pe, it says there, verse 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And John, it says, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. 
went with you into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, I believe, was John, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And this other disciple, verse uh, 54 of Luke 22, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter set him off. So you get the picture. Here it is right up there. Peter's right there. He's watching the whole thing. John lets him in. And now in verse 67, when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also are with the Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know him nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. What happened to his confidence? What happened to his boasting? And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are Galilean, and your speech shows that Peter's accent gave him away. He was, he was the Texan in New York. <laughs> then he began, verse 71, to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. He denied it with an oath, Matthew tells us. So Peter adds this solemn oath out of fear for his own safety. Now, he's not using foul language or expletives. He rather is saying, in effect, may God curse me if what I say is not the truth. Listen, it wasn't. In just a few scant hours, what happened that Peter denied his own boasting? Why would he deny him? Maybe boasting when he should have been listening to Jesus? You will deny me. The spirits are willing, but the flesh is weak. Sleeping when he should have been praying. Watch and pray. Following Jesus at a distance. In other words, he's hiding out in the shadows. He's not wanting to be seen as a disciple of Jesus. He's standing and sitting in the enemy courtyard. Blend in, not wanting to be known as a disciple of Jesus. He's warming himself at the servant's fire. That literally means facing the light. And I thought, I thought, he's staring into this fire. It's almost like he's in denial. He, fear, really, bottom line, is what was driving his own decisions and denials. Now notice in verse 72, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the roast, rooster, cro the roaster, <laughs> the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Have you had those moments with the Lord? Become so aware of my own selfishness my own fears, my own wanting to hide in the shadows. Literally, Peter broke down. It's a powerful term in the Greek. He went out and threw himself down on the ground in agony and tears, bitter tears of a heartbroken repentance. And I love Luke, where it says, as Peter recognized and realized he just did what Jesus said, he, what he told Jesus he wouldn't, and Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. 
a second time. And Luke tells this moving, intimate moment in the whole thing of his denial. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. No words needed to be spoken. Eyeball to eyeball. Jesus looking deep into the soul of Peter. And it broke him. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. You see, he loved Jesus. His remorseful repentance will be met by the risen Lord Jesus. Just a few days. Look at that next week. Failure was not the end of the story for Peter. Peter was learning what only failure can teach. An unbelievably painful lesson, but God never wastes pain on his disciples. Do not despise the chastened Lord, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If without chastening, they are not sons. But if you're chastening, he's chastening you that you may be conformed to his image. He might chasten out all the things that are getting away of you knowing and loving Jesus and through that loving others. God used Peter's pain to fashion him into a vessel fit for the master's use. And listen, Jesus is just getting started. And so with us. Can I have the worship team come out? He's learning not to rely on himself, but to trust in the power and love of Almighty God. He's learned the ongoing lesson to throw himself at the feet of Jesus. Listen to the lines of a Scottish poet, Charles Mackey. Oh, you tears, I'm thankful that you run. Though you trickle down in darkness, you shall glitter in the sun. The rainbow could not shine if the rain refused to fall. And the eyes that cannot weep are the saddest eyes of all. May God help us in understanding this pain of our own weaknesses and failures. And all the boasting that we've done, and we come, the older you get, the more you realize, oh, oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing a song and then I'll pray to close this.